Hello, trying something new. Uh, I just learned that Substack supports embedded audio, and I personally prefer to consume stuff in audio format. So uh, I'm going to talk through my post. Let me know if you like this or not. So uh, it's actually been a full month since my last post. I was on a two-week research cadence, but missed an entire cycle this time. I've had an interesting month. Some highs, but with rising existential frustration. I'll briefly talk about uh, that frustration before diving into ideas. Uh, section one, recent struggles. In the past month, I traveled three times, caught up with about 50 people, investigated two ideas, and speed ran three really, really good video games. Despite that sounding pretty fun and good, uh, I would probably grade this month like a three out of 10. The quality of my two ideas this month were lacking, and I spent way more time than I wanted to on video games. I think this is partially a side effect of me swinging from ultra-structured time management to a full go-with-the-flow mentality, mentality in order to optimize motivation. Um, upon reflection, I need to adjust to have a minimal but non-negotiable structure to build towards long-term happiness. On the gaming side, I played Elden Ring, Triangle Strategy, and Slay the Spire. Between the three games, I actually put in 187 hours of playtime over the course of about two and a half weeks. So that naively averages to about 11 hours per day, which is kind of crazy. On one hand, these three games were each really incredible. Elden Ring, hands down, game of the year. It's probably tied with Breath of the Wild for my number one favorite game of all time. Triangle Strategy was the rebirth of Final Fantasy tactics, tactics that we all wanted. And Slay the Spire is like the best parts of Hearthstone and Dominion, mashed into a roguelike. Scratches the itch from back when I made Legend and Hearthstone, which is like top 0.3% in the world. It was really fun. Uh, on the other hand, the intensity which I poured time into this, like, strictly, it's basically strictly optimized for short-term enjoyment over long-term happiness. As a result, I've been experiencing kind of like deep existential sadness for avoiding the difficult and important work that I really want to be doing. Uh, in light of that, I've been reading a little bit on existentialist philosophy, specifically this guy called uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Here's a particularly meaningful snippet. Um, quote, it's up to you to decide the kind of person you want to be and how to live your life meaningfully. But these choices love and despair because of the pressure that comes when you realize you're free and responsible and have no one else to blame. No excuses for your behavior. Anxiety or despair is the dizziness of freedom. Despair is a kind of vertigo we get when overwhelmed with possibilities and choices. Sometimes the dizziness of your freedom is so overwhelming that you might feel compelled to step back, to shrink from making a choice. Making no choice or letting someone else choose for you can feel easier. The greater the stakes, deeper the abyss, and the further you have to fall if you misstep. But your personal growth depends on your ability to handle big choices yourself, and not to shirk from them. For Kierkegaard, Bravely facing up to our choices and learning to channel our anxiety in constructive ways is vital. Quote, whoever has learned to be anxious in the right way has learned the ultimate, end quote. I found that the emotional swings that come with this exploration process I've been going through have been surprisingly extreme. Sometimes I'm on or diving into an exciting idea and have huge optimism and motivation. Sometimes I'm off with no path forward and intense frustration. Anyway, to cap off this odd bit, I'm trying to be more balanced and striving to learn to be anxious in the right way. 
Section two, gaming, culture, and art. As you probably already know, I care a lot about gaming. It's what I grew up with, and some of the most important moments in my life are gaming moments. I believe gaming has the highest storytelling ceiling of any form of entertainment. I mean, you're literally the main character. I also think I'm not alone. Today, there are 3.1 billion gamers in the world. The rise of gaming over the past two decades, overcoming the stigma of nerd or loser culture, uh, esports becoming a respected career, and the industry's transformation into an economic powerhouse has been one of the most incredible success stories of our time. Um, fascinating facts. 74% of parents think that video games can be educational for kids. 65% of American adults are video gamers. 38% of U.S. gamers are 18 to 34 year, uh, years old. 46% of all gamers in the world are age 36 or higher. And uh, from 2020 to 2025, the uh, CAGR was 12%. As an aside, I haven't really touched the metaverse yet in my explorations. Uh, but being as passionate about gaming as I am probably would be a good subject for a deep dive. Anyway, main point uh, is that there are a lot of gamers, especially older gamers and people who have money or you know potentially live in their own residences now. Uh, and here's a problem that I personally have, and I suspect much of this pool of people also has. I can't find tasteful wall art that I'm emotionally connected to. As an utter philistine of actual art, normal wall art does absolutely nothing for me. Uh, I look at something, it's like, this, yeah, this does, yeah, I can't even tell what it is. Uh, however, when I look at video game related art, it's incredibly overt, uh, usually almost obnoxious. The problem is that while people who understand the reference may feel an emotional connection to this image, people who don't understand it will have absolutely zero appreciation of it. So while the enjoyment ceiling is higher, the floor is lower. Uh, what I want is art that looks good to people who don't get the reference. I've tried to scour the internet for examples of this, but it's extremely hard to come by. This is one of the only examples I could find, um, and I immediately bought it, and now it's hanging on my wall, um, image included in, in the blog post. I tried to create some art of my own uh, with my lacking, uh, unfortunate Photoshop skills, and I've included those pictures as well. Take a look. Um, but the idea is this. Start a lifestyle brand company that hires artists to create this kind of video game art, uh, curate a collection of items that embodies this, uh, and then burn a bunch of money on marketing to establish a brand, um, and hopefully profit. If only 5% of gamers would be remotely interested in this, and you can capture half a percent of those people, um, and you make $10 of, of profit per art sale, that comes out to actually like $7.75 million, which is like pretty respectable. Um, there are ways of layering other silly ideas on top of this to increase margins, like um, making kind of like luxury art or limited edition art, um, also NFT sales. But at its core, I think there's a lifestyle business. It's not for me, um, but I do wish someone would do it because I emotionally connect with it. Please take my money. Section three, energy storage. Now onto a more serious topic. As I mentioned before, energy storage is really important. I think it's the single biggest bottleneck for our transition to renewable energy. Solar and wind installation costs has dropped precipitously in the past 15 years, and there's a clear path to scaling it up dramatically. 
however, we can't move over to renewable energy without solving the intermittency problem. Where we need to get to. This paper that I linked in the post estimates that we need about 5.4 terawatt hours of energy storage to reach 80% renewable energy adoption in the US. As of today, we have about eight gigawatt hours. Um, that's actually three orders of magnitude off the mark, which is really bad. Uh, interestingly, reaching 100% adoption is considerably more difficult, actually. It would take uh, almost 400 terawatt hours. Um, if you think about it for a second, it actually makes sense. Without, um, without baseload power generation and relying only on intermittent sources, you need to be able to survive the worst case behavior of, of weather and solar, um, which is considerably harder if you have at least a little bit of baseload to fall back to. Anyway, let's assume that 5.4 terawatt hours is the target, uh, and we need this as soon as possible, within the decade, worst case. Um, here is my key thesis. Existing startup ideas for new energy storage solutions like gravity batteries or new chemistries uh, will not be able to scale up to 5.4 terawatt hours by 2030. Uh, so we need something else. Is there something else that we haven't tried yet? Uh, from first principles, here are literally all the ways that energy can be stored um, from what I can tell. So there's gravitational potential energy, which is pumped hydro or uh, raising heavy stuff with cranes like concrete. There's elastic potential energy that takes the form of uh, solid, liquid, and gas. Um, solid is basically rubber bands and springs, uh, but unfortunately those suffer from material fatigue and uh, probably wouldn't be good candidates. Uh, liquid, there's not too many options here. Liquid's usually not very compressible. Um, fun fact, mercury is by far the most compressible liquid for some reason. Um, and then in the gas side, there's compressed air energy storage, as well as uh, surprisingly buoyancy. Uh, so you can generate energy by like sticking balloons under the water, basically. Uh, there's chemical energy. So lithium ion falls under this category. Uh, there's also all these new battery chemistries like flow batteries, iron batteries, etc. Um, there's kinetic energy. Uh, so angular momentum, for example, flywheels. There's electrical energy. Uh, so supercapacitors. There's nuclear energy. Uh, so stored in atoms, but fusion and fission obviously are both rather difficult. Um, and then there's thermal energy, which essentially you make stuff hot, and then uh, to take the energy out, you boil water to turn a turbine. A couple of other crazy ideas I've had. What if we convert all the water towers to gravity batteries in, in the US? It turns out it would only come out to about 14 gigawatt hours for uh, every, including every water tower in, in the US. So it's not small, but it's still not good enough. It's still two orders of magnitude off. Um, another idea is you could dig a hole through the entire Earth. You would have uh, something that could fall forever and preserve momentum. Uh, but then losses of due to air friction would be pretty terrible. So it's probably stupid. Um, another crazy idea is orbital energy. So you could possibly generate energy by launching giant inductors like spring coils into, into orbit which would constantly be moving through the Earth's magnetic field. Um, but that seems like it would be pretty um, if inefficient. Anyway, to conclude, uh, at a cursory glance over all the physically possible ways to store energy, most of the ways are currently either being invested in um, or maybe unrealistic. Uh, so there probably isn't something new, some like new form of energy storage that would scale up dramatically faster than what we currently are already working on.
a different approach, EVs. Um, here's a critical observation. For all projected energy storage demand in the next decade, electric vehicles will far outpace any other storage medium, even grid storage, by an order of magnitude. EVs represent about three terawatt hours of storage capacity in the next decade. This is literally huge. It's, it's most of the way to our 5.4 terawatt hour target. Um, the fact of the matter is obvious. Consumer demand trumps all. If we can utilize this massive surge in storage in a win-win way, then it will solve the grid storage problem, unlocking the renewable energy transition. Uh, not only that, but EVs are typically co-located with the sources of energy demand. This removes the significant amount of transmission load, which is great because um, turns out our electricity transmission efficiency for the grid is generally really terrible. So this is not a new idea. It's called vehicle to grid or VTG. The concept is pretty straightforward. You plug in your EV during the day and you agree to let the utility uh, pull energy from it in an intelligent way. The utility pays you for that usage and doesn't necessarily drain your battery. Uh, frequency management, for example, is uh, basically uses the lithium-ion battery to maintain 60 hertz on, on the grid. Um, smart charging on the charging points will ensure that the EV is always within a safe uh, zone optimized for battery life, or between around like 30 to 80%. Uh, in fact, keeping your EV at 100% charge is actually detrimental to its lifetime. So uh, using this service could, uh, in theory, extend its lifespan. Uh, some interesting facts about the vehicle-to-grid market. Um, in Europe, this market is actually experiencing 20% year-over-year growth, which is huge. Um, the profit that you can make with a Nissan Leaf in one year is estimated at between $400 and $2,500. Um, and this would actually, if you could deploy it uh, rapidly, there's a study that, that shows that it would actually save a cost of $250 million in distribution network investment uh, in the UK alone. Uh, and then it's also estimated in the US that by 2027, this VDG market size will be $17 billion. Here's another critical piece of information. Accessing this new income stream completely changes the economics of buying an EV. Uh, I linked a paper here, uh, basically shows that cutting it cuts the break-even point in half from like 12 years to six years. Well, it's not exactly that obvious. I actually read about 10 papers analyzing the economics of EVs and vehicle-to-grid. And cost-benefit depends heavily on the regulatory environment, the utility you work with, the energy price, and, and the vehicle's use cases. Anyway, the point is there is a huge source of demand for grid energy storage coming in the next 10 years. There's a huge source of supply in the EV consumer surge, uh, but those two things aren't interoperating. Um, and so the real question is, can we start a company that takes advantage of this? This has been kind of a challenging problem to solve for me because I don't really understand the environment very well or the ecosystem. If you know somebody who is familiar with energy markets, regulation, utilities, or anything like that, please let me know. So far, my approach has been to reach out directly to the authors of research papers I've been reading, but um, response rate is obviously very low. So here's my um, primary idea for this area, FinTech for EV conversion. Um, essentially, it's a buy now, pay later startup, think a firm, or uh, for financing EV purchases. 
So you go to commercial fleets, offer them a subscription cost to convert their fleet from gas to electric. Uh, these fleets already retire 10% of their fleets like every year anyway. So uh, you do it incrementally uh, at that pace. Uh, cost would be per, you know, maybe $10,000 a month uh, per vehicle or whatever undercuts the cost of buying the equivalent gas vehicle to replace that. So you cover the cost of the vehicle for that for the fleet uh, and also uh, the cost of an installation of the charging station and handle all the difficult logistics for them. Um, so on their side, they get to smooth out the high initial cost of investing in EVs and get the long-term benefit of adoption, and they also save money. Um, and then on your side, you can utilize uh, vehicle-to-grid technology and also integrate with their transportation management uh, service to optimize like your return on investment. Uh, so you end up taking a risk on financing uh, their EV conversion and can possibly build uh, some tech to de-risk the investment. Uh, for example, like automating the analysis of their credit and uh, uh, the installation of charging uh, charging points. You can also either raise money yourself from investors to be a lender yourself or uh, be a matchmaker and pair fleet owners with institutional lenders. So some pros. Um, this is definitely a way to speed up commercial vehicle EV adoption, um, and you can own the entire VDG stack, uh, eventually act as an aggregator. And so you have a ton of data and a ton of like, uh, essentially control over a large amount of charge. Um, and you can negotiate with utilities for great rates or even sell that data directly to them. Some cons, um, there's definitely regulatory exposure here. Um, who knows? when V2G will actually be properly supported in energy markets. Also, there's obviously upfront financial risk because you're lending out uh, money. And um, perhaps this company might be more of like a financial product rather than a tech product. Um, an interesting note is I actually found a startup that appears to be pursuing this model specifically for school buses. It's called Highland Electric Transportation. Other ideas. So a couple other ideas I've come across but haven't deeply investigated. Um, you could go for a consumer play of the same model that I just talked about. So this would be a smaller transaction size with a greater lending volume, which would actually probably benefit more from technology. So that might be a better angle uh, for me personally. You could also techify green bonds. So apparently green, this, there's this thing called a green bond. Um, and it's a huge market over a trillion dollars in bond value has been issued as of 2020. Um, I'm not exactly familiar with how these work, but perhaps you can make it really easy to issue green bonds or even bundle them so that small businesses or even individuals could, could do it. Um, yeah. Other idea is making an IoT sensor network for utilities to get more insight into their grid performance. It seems to be one of the themes is that the utility doesn't really know what's going on on the grid. Um, so basically you stick current meters on everything uh, aggregate a ton of data and sell it to utilities to help them react to this uh, new renewable uh, smart grid. So all of these ideas are like pretty interesting and potentially economically viable, but I don't see a super obvious path for any of them to uh, to reach huge scale, um, taking advantage of technology. I think it will require more time for me to talk to experts in the industry and understand what the problems they're dealing with are. Again, if you know someone I should talk to, please, please let me know.
closing thoughts, some ideas that I'm excited about in the coming weeks, um, crypto-based lobbying for the masses, uh, and building a neural interface. In the meantime, I've decided to step back into organizing social events. Meeting with people gives me structure, energy, and inspiration. I've had a moderate amount of like social interaction so far in my exploratory time, but I think I could use more diversity and volume. If you're listening so far, thanks for being here. Um, I'd love your feedback. If the audio was useful, let me know. Um, but that's pretty much it for today. Have a good one.